You're listening to a Radio 191 FM podcast. Migration and the rights of migrants is an ever-pertinent topic throughout politics and activism. However, the intricacies of those rights can vary from person to person. End Acceptable Standards of Health Now is a campaign led by Paralympian, journalist and musician Anya Kelly-Costello, actioned by a group of migrants affected by the Acceptable Standard of Health, or ASH. The Acceptable Standard of Health regulates whether migrants are allowed entrance to Aotearoa based on factors such as cognitive and physical ability to preempt an overload of pressure on the country's health and education systems. End Ash Now says this process denies residents' rights to a wide array of people who Anya and other activists explain offer a breadth of assets spanning far beyond their financial value. Anya and End Ash Now member Caroline, Carolina Vasquez told R1 News about their experiences of the acceptable standard of health and what they say needs to change. The health requirements established by Immigration New Zealand are intensive, demanding an acceptable standard of health, one which will not impose significant costs or pressure on health or education systems. Applicants can fail to gain permanent residency in Aotearoa if their health conditions will likely require over $41,000 of services or if they're likely to qualify for any special education services funded by the ongoing resources scheme, for example. Anya, on your website you cite three factors contributing to the ableism of the current immigration process, policies, prejudices and systems that have, as you describe, failed the disabled community. Some of these policies I've just described, but the prejudices associated cannot be researched in the same black and white way as policies. As people involved and active in the disabled community, what sort of prejudices have you seen disabled migrants facing? Kia ora, thanks for that excellent question, Kaya. The policy that you've just described, um, the acceptable standard of health for ASH requirements, what it does is reduce disabled migrants um, and also migrants with health conditions and even with high BMI to a dollar figure. So it just looks at economic value, basically. It's supposed to look at also contributions and ties to the country. But even if you take factors like that into account, what you're saying is you're setting up disabled migrants in a way where they have to prove their worth. So um, people who are sick or who have disabilities Um, are being discriminated against, Uh, their human rights are being breached because of these policies. Um, And I just point out as well that this is also affecting uh, refugees, uh, particularly convention refugees and community sponsorship refugees uh, who are also being subjected to these arbitrary requirements that are leading to so much uncertainty and stress. Have you encountered any viewpoints that perhaps aren't distinctly prejudiced in their own right, but instead seek to justify some of the prejudices you've described? Because the government have, for a long time, successive governments have not invested sufficiently in education and health. Uh, There's this idea that we need to, quote, look after our own first. Um, But actually what we've seen, particularly with the pandemic, is that the government can, with the political will, make really substantial budget decisions really quickly. So underfunding of health and education is absolutely something that the government can address. And changing um, migration policies by ending the acceptable standard of health requirements and ending the legal framework upholding them is absolutely something that the government can address with uh, political will. What are some of the other systems and policies contributing to an inaccessible immigration system? 
I think part of the issue is that the information about the policies is really difficult to get at and to understand. Even for me reading it as a well-educated native English speaker, it's not straightforward at all to figure out these requirements. And the system thrives off of leaving people in limbo, uh, long wait times, uncertainty, making you apply and reapply uh, for visas. So the entire system is set up to make it as difficult and as stressful for, uh, for migrants as possible. And I'd just point out that this also leads to worse health outcomes because people are afraid to go to the doctor. People are afraid to seek um, help when they're having, you know, all of the distress that comes with this policy on a, on a mental health side. So, um, you know, even though the, the Arden government um, kind of claims to, to govern with kindness and compassion, um, these systems and policies are totally the opposite of this. You know, having a list of um, conditions also that are deemed to cost too much. Again, it's just this whole narrative around migrants only being valuable if they add economic value and not recognizing our strengths and our contributions, which we all make to, you know, to our schools and workplaces and neighborhoods and communities. And you've each experienced the migration process. Anya as a disabled person and Catalina as the parent of a disabled person. Have you experienced or heard anecdotes of any ableist barriers to migration? Carolina, do you, do you want to share a bit about um, your experience as well? Yes, of course. Uh, hello, my name is Carolina. We are from Chile. We moved to New Zealand in 2015 uh, because I'm looking for a better future for, for myself, for my family, for my kids, because she needs uh, more support. We realized, uh, supposed to she doesn't have acceptable standard of health uh, because she needs a special education. She needs a cognitive disability. Uh, in this moment, in 2015, we fight with immigration for around one year. For one year, she had to leave the country because her visa was declined. After three years, I got uh, one interview for a minister of immigration. Uh, we got uh, a student visa for her. But now, again, we have uh, issues because uh, she needs special education. She is a very high cost for this government. That was the, the word that the the sense that they use it, uh, she's a completely healthy. She doesn't have any medication or different doctor, nothing. She's amazing. We tried for too many years, until now around seven years, to try to call New Zealand home, to try to be stable here. But it's, it's hard. It's very hard because every single thing that you try to explain to immigration, they don't understand, you know, because they have one very close policy. And you are currently in the process of handing over a petition to an MP in a plea for your daughter to stay. Could you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, of course. Um, we applied um, in May last year for a new student visa for her. Until now, we don't have answer about this application. In April, she got one special visa under section, section 61 because she was illegal for a little bit short time. So we apply for residency finally, but we have again the big problem. Uh, her residency and our residency will be declined. 
for her condition. So we make this petition because we need uh, one exception again, show to the immigration and show to the government we are responsible person, we are hard worker, we make a long contribution for this country. The petition is uh, we want to show everyone the situation and ask for support from the community and the rest of the important people in this country, show the reality, you know. Unfortunately, these sort of anecdotes aren't hard to come by. In late 2021, Aisling Smith missed out on a medical waiver due to her medication costs and had to resort to creating an online petition advocating her right to stay in Aotearoa as her residency application was rejected in 2019. Disability advocate Juliana Carvalho faced a similar situation last year resorting to overstaying in the country, becoming liable for deportation so that she might become eligible to appeal on humanitarian grounds. Carvalho describes the process as humiliating and ridiculous. Do you think the fact that disabled migrants are needing to resort to online pleas for help is negatively impacting the social perception of these groups, feeding into a narrative that frames disabled people as helpless? Yeah, I absolutely do. I, I think it's particularly feeding into the narrative that disabled people are a burden, um, a financial drain, and it's just something that um, completely goes against our human rights. And uh, one thing I'd add around the fact that it doesn't recognize our strengths is that um, Juliana Carvalho's petition, which was not only for her to be able to stay in the country, but also to, to change these policies and uphold uh, the UN Convention on the Rights of, of Persons with Disabilities as well. Um, when that petition went to Parliament, it went to the uh, Education and Workforce Select Committee, uh, who made a recommendation around um, having the acceptable standard of health reviewed to align with a strengths-based approach. Um, and despite this recommendation, that's something that the government are not actually following through on. They're doing a much more limited review um, of the cost threshold but basically the, the, the system as it stands um, is, is remaining intact. So um, I think we absolutely need to move towards that, that strengths-based approach um, and um, uphold human rights as well. So you've just described this a little bit in your answer, but what do you think the government could do now to make migration more accessible? And what could be done in the future to ensure migration is an entirely prejudice-free process? There's so much around... Um, wider uh, wider systems that is really important to look into because uh, we have been focusing mainly on the ash policy because it's so prejudicial um, but the government can absolutely start now um, by uh, scrapping the acceptable standard of health requirements and stopping discriminating against migrants on disability or health or bmi uh, any of these grounds um, stop discriminating against refugees also on, on these grounds. Um, and also Green MP uh, Ricardo Menendez March has drafted a bill recently um, to give migrants access to the human rights via the Human Rights Act uh, because currently migration decisions which fall under the, the Migration Act, they are exempt or, or you can't complain about them um, if they discriminate against you on human rights grounds. So when I'm talking about, you know, our human rights being taken away, this is what I'm talking about. Um, so the government can absolutely support that bill to remove the legal framework, which essentially upholds 
uh, the acceptable standard of health requirements or which allows them to exist uh, in the first place. Um, but if the government is going to do a review, um, which they're, you know, they currently are, have committed to reviewing the cost threshold. So at the moment, it's uh, $41,000 over five years. And there's a list of a very long list of, of disabilities and health conditions, which are assumed to, to meet this um, threshold or to probably meet this threshold. Um, if the government's going to do that review, then it absolutely needs to widen the scope of it. Um, to look at, you know, recommendations that the the independent monitoring mechanism, um, which keeps an eye on whether New Zealand is upholding the Convention on the Rights of Persons with Disabilities, they've actually said this law um, needs to be completely reworked um, and reformed um, with disabled people in a way that upholds um, the Disability Rights Convention. Um, so if the government's going to do a review, that's the review that we need to have happen. And people affected by the ASH requirements, uh, as well as disabled people's organizations um, and, you know, the Human Rights Commission and, and other groups which would have relevant expertise uh, need to be able to input. And we need a much more, you know, public and transparent process around that review. The zeitgeist of our time is arguably defined by COVID-19 and the outbreak's implications for every sector of society. Immigration and travel are prominent among these. Do you think disabled immigrants with weaker immune systems might be concerned about the potential for contracting COVID-19 on planes and other transportation systems, adding to the stress of dealing with immigration and potential deportation? Yeah, I do. And I think that the, the stress of potentially contracting COVID goes beyond the transportation system to where you're actually getting deported to as well. This kind of situation is very stressful. It's, it's a lot of money. It's a stress. It's the, the more every time when we have holidays, for example, we never enjoy a lot because we don't know what happened next month, next week. We need to give money for lawyer. We need to give money for something. So I think it's a very hard time and the, the mental health is, is horrible. <laughs> the situation is very bad. Not only me, it's a lot, a lot of people. It's not only my daughter in the same situation and they are human beings. They are no numbers. We really do need to come together and for allies to also uh, join this campaign with us to change the policy and to support all those uh, currently affected. So please do support us. Um, and yeah, together we can urge the government to do what is right, recognize the human rights um, of all migrants, recognize our strengths and contributions, and scrap, scrap the acceptable standard of health policy. And um, thank you. That was the Radio 191 FM podcast. You can find more of them at r1.co.nz forward slash podcast.